Hello and welcome to the Plaza Central podcast. Stay informed about Latin America's most pressing political, economic, and social developments. Plaza Central is a production of the Latin American program of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Hello and welcome to Plaza Central. I am Patricia Vázquez, Global Fellow at the Wilson Center and your guest host for this episode. Today I'm joined by Henry Sanderson, Executive Editor at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. Henry and I will discuss his new book, Gold Rush, The Winners and Losers in the Race to Go Green. We will discuss how China's prominent role in the lithium value chain has grown and how it contributed to Chile losing its place to Australia as the world's number one lithium producer. We will also talk about the unique opportunities that the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, known as IRA, offers for the lithium triangle to grow its lithium industry. And lastly, we also talk about how Argentina and Chile are in a very good position to attract investments to the lithium industries from an environmental and social perspective. Henry, thank you very much for being here with us. Um, your book talks about the end of the age of oil and the beginning of uh, the electric vehicle revolution as a way towards mitigating the challenges of climate change. Um, a key element in that process, in that energy transition away from fossil fuels, is lithium. It's a metal used for making the batteries that run the electric vehicles and uh, for storing renewable energy. Uh, there are other metals also used in that process that you talk about in your book, but uh, we will concentrate on lithium here since a large percentage of the world production of lithium comes from the lithium triangle. In your book, you talk about how back at the end of the 1800s, Thomas Edison tried already back then to invent an electric car, but failed. And Henry Ford beat him in inventing the patrol car. And then you draw a parallelism with Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, and Henry Ford. You say we are today more or less at that same moment. Can you please explain what you mean by that parallelism? Yeah, so it's a fascinating moment of history when um, over 100 years ago, you had all these different technologies jostling for, for supremacy uh, with, with battery cars, steam cars and internal combustion engines. Uh, and I think it's a similar moment because it's a, it's a transition um, in, in, in the way we're, we're going to get around. And it's, it's, it's a momentous transition. And I think that's why I think it's similar to the last time around, because this time around, electrics, um, we're going to move from, from petrol and gasoline to, to electrics, but it's going to have similar impacts on uh, supply chains, companies, countries, and uh, fortunes. And I think we're already seeing that, um, especially in China, where EVs are getting close to 25% of, of vehicle sales in the country. So I think uh, in many ways, we're and the Chinese talk about it, sort of a once in a hundred year uh, transition. I think that, that's right. Um, and, and it's interesting, the last time round, the batteries did get quite close to, uh, to being good enough um, for, for EVs. And it's interesting how at that time, just one technology ended up dominating gasoline vehicles, where 
it could have gone, you know, the way of having EVs for certain use cases and, and gasoline for, for other use cases. But instead, you know, Henry Ford and Model T swept all before it. And we saw the complete and utter dominance of the uh, internal combustion engine. So it's a really interesting moment of, of history. Yes. And uh, since you talk about China, like in the 18th century, the steam engine made the UK the center of the Industrial Revolution. You say, quote, without China, we cannot move towards a green battery powered future, unquote. Can you please explain what you mean by that? So, so the dominance that uh, the China has in, in the battery supply chain is, is extraordinary. And you know, it's not a sort of long-term dominance. Actually, Japan was was the dominant uh, producer of lithium-ion batteries in the 1990s. They they commercialized lithium-ion batteries in, in 1991. Uh, but China took over from Japan and really managed to scale uh, remarkably, such that now I do think it's pretty virtually impossible to, to build an electric vehicle uh, without China. You know, there are lots of things that people don't think about, but materials like graphite, you know, China's almost 90 plus percent of the market. You know, things like cathodes and, and anodes and, and processing of all the sort of battery uh, materials. And, and China produces about 80 percent of batteries. So there's so many sort of hidden areas of this supply chain that China is really, really dominant in, which means that, yes, the West can catch up, but for the foreseeable future, I don't see how we can decarbonize without without at least some involvement uh, of, of China and, and Chinese companies. And um, that is true of, um, of the downstream, that is, of the battery manufacturing part of the value chain where China is, is, is very strong. Um, however, you also explain in your book that on the upstream, that is on the on the raw materials, in this case, lithium, part of the value chain, China didn't have enough lithium. They found at one point that they didn't have enough lithium and that it was cheaper to produce it elsewhere. And that elsewhere was Australia and South America. Yeah. So it was demand from China that turned Australia into the, the world number one producer of lithium, although that had a, a cost for the environment. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes, there's a couple of interesting things, which is when Chile first started uh, producing lithium in the 1990s, they, they completely undercut the entire market. Um, and actually put some some Chinese producers out of business because evaporating the lithium uh, from brine just using sunlight was was incredibly low cost process, and they um, they undercut um, the market and uh, really sort of changed a lot of the economics um, in, in the market. And Chile became a really key producer. But then you're right, um, Australia um, is now the biggest producer, and and that developed because. The Chinese um, went to Australia and invested in, in, in lithium projects, but they took the, uh, the spodumene rock from Australia and processed it in China. So today, you know, Australia produces around 45% of lithium, but almost all of it goes to China um, to be processed. So Australia is just exporting, you know, rock with around 6% lithium um, that, goes, that goes to China. So Chile's lost, lost ground um, to Australia. And we forecast Australia is going to be the dominant producer, um, you know, pretty pretty much uh, this decade. So um, yeah, Chile did undercut the market, but then then Australia really sort of thanks to, thanks in part to investment by China really uh, scaled up. 
Yeah, and interestingly, you say in your book that Gangfang, which is Chinese and it's the dominant world player in the in the lithium value chain, offered SQM to buy a stake in Gangfang, but SQM, which is the Chile, uh, Chilean lithium company, refused to do it back then. And uh, that seems to have been a lost opportunity for Chile, doesn't it? Precisely, yeah. There was this sort of interesting moment where I think, um, you know, as I say, I think SQM was undercut the market, was sort of the dominant um, producer. And, and, and the Chinese um, converters were, were importing material from SQM. They needed to um, get hold of of the feedstock to uh, you know to, to convert in in China, and there was this moment where you know Kanfeng offered them uh, you know offered them to, to buy a stake in the company you know in return for uh, return for supply of um, lithium, but but it never happened. Um, but but in terms of Australia, you know we saw some remarkable early um, moves by Chinese companies such as Tianxi Lithium offering to buy the Greenbushes mine in Australia. This is the lowest cost. Um, lithium mine in, in the world and it was a really a deal that happened before anyone was sort of paying attention before EVs were really uh, in the spotlight that they are now so um, you know China really went out to Australia um, Gamfeng as well invested in Australian projects so you have a situation now where you have so much lithium from Australia going to China but being processed in, in China often in quite, as you mentioned, energy intense ways, um, you know, using coal fired power. So the, you know, the carbon emissions of this process is is not ideal, whereas the, the South American lithium, uh, from a carbon point of view, is much better, you know, just uses the sunlight to evaporate the, the lithium. So there, ha- there are some drawbacks of this um, sort of Chinese push into Australia. Your book uh, does a very nice job at explaining the environmental issues with uh, the development of of, uh, the social and environmental issues with the development of lithium. And you say in your book, quote, we need to clean up the invisible supply chains we have come to rely on. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think what I mean is that, you know, even now, um, you know, automotive companies, I feel like are not clear enough about the the challenges of of the supply chain. And some things are still hidden, as I mentioned, graphite um, earlier, you know, the, the sort of supply chain of, of graphite is dominated in China. It's, it's very carbon um, intensive uh, process often in China. That's the sort of example of a hidden uh, process. And I think we, the public and, and buyers of EVs are, are not so um, not so aware of. And, and lithium as well. Lithium going to China to be processed, cobalt going to China to be processed. Um, I think these are all sort of routes that are, that are quite hidden because China sucks in so much of this material. It becomes quite opaque when it gets to China. And, and China is obviously a coal-fired powered uh, country. I mean, it is moving rapidly to renewables, but coal-fired power is the um, majority of, it, of its grid. So, so when I talk about these hidden supply chains, I think we've got all these materials sort of zipping around the world, uh, moving moving a lot of, a lot of distances. I think my book is just saying we need to open our eyes to some of these supply chains, um, be aware of them and, and not greenwash them, right? The biggest fear in my mind is, you know, it just gets greenwashed and, 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 and car makers just say, oh, everything is sorted um, and it's not. It needs a lot of focus, um, a, lot of, a lot of attention. 
you know, there, there are areas, um, you know, the Democratic Republic of Congo and in, in cobalt um, is going to be going to be a big producer. Mozambique in, in graphite um, is a big producer. Um, there are all, all these sort of countries emerging that I don't think we, we fully understand how reliant we'll be on them. Yes, and in the lithium triangle, Chile and Argentina, they're they're racing to produce more lithium to respond to the world de- demand for that. So that may have an environmental and social cost, right? Yeah. So, so this is the thing from from Chile and Argentina's point of view, and it's really interesting. They're in a really good position because I think from from a carbon point of view, as I was saying, it's it's much more environmentally uh, friendly. Um, than than you know, properly digging up and mining lithium in Australia and sending it to China to be processed, you know, using coal-fired power, etc. Um, the problem in Chile and Argentina is obviously more of of water issues, of um, you know, surrounding communities, and and also the application of new technologies such as direct lithium extraction. You know, can can this be a more efficient? process for for extracting lithium it's interesting that um sqm and chile is now now talking about you know significantly and they have done increasing their lithium carbonate production but not extracting more brine um from from the salar de atacama which is obviously very uh delicate ecosystem and using and and using direct lithium extraction as well um there to improve to improve the efficiencies of, of production so Chile and Argentina are in a really good position because you know they can they can produce lithium in, in a low carbon way. Also, Chile is has a free trade agreement with the US and Biden's launched its Inflation Reduction Act, um, which specifically says that critical minerals should be sourced from North America or free trade agreement countries. So Chile, I think, is in a really, really good um position. But what, what Chile needs to do is to somehow um, grow its its lithium. Uh, sector in a way that um, you know the country is is happy with, and um, I don't think, and they know, and they've said, you know, the state obviously can't can't do it all. They need private companies, so they need to to find a way to to grow. Because in Argentina, we've seen a huge wave of investments into new projects. Yes, and and just to clarify, direct lithium extraction is uh, a method that replaces evaporation ponds and it's faster and uh, more environmentally friendly in theory. And I say in theory because um, it hasn't really been proved at a commercial level. So we're still testing all these uh, direct lithium extraction technologies, but we haven't found the one that that will apply to each um, each salt flat, which is different. But it's interesting what you say um, that Chile will probably benefit from the the FTA with with the United States uh, because so far the lithium triangle, in terms of investments, has mostly benefited from Chinese investments more than than Western companies. Yes, exactly right. I mean, that, that's the interesting thing: whether this Inflation Reduction Act will will change that that dynamic. Because um, you know, we've seen, um, yeah, we've seen in Argentina a lot of um, a lot of investment by, by by Chinese companies, and also in Chile, uh, Tianqi Lithium bought a stake in in SQM, and also Chongqing Lithium is involved um, involved in another 
project in in Chile as well. But we've been saying that though, um, we estimate around you know twenty six percent of output in twenty thirty from Argentina will be from projects with some Chinese involvement. So it's not it's not like you know completely uh, Chinese are going to dominate lithium production in in Argentina. Um, so there is room for Western producers. And, uh, you know, and, and especially, you know, in Chile, if, if, if it does open up, if there's more private investment, there could be room for, you know, for Western uh, producers there. Um, but you're right, the Chinese have really um, invested more in uh, growth projects and companies like uh, Livent, uh, you know, perhaps have been a bit too slow to, to expand capacity. Yeah, and the problem with Chile is that they don't, allow for private investments or rather they do but they they have to do it together with the government because lithium is considered to be strategic so there's a whole issue there that the new constitution that is being drafted does not seem to uh, be going in the direction of changing that in the near future especially yeah SQM and Albemarle rent their their concessions you know in the atacama on 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 leases um but it is interesting that the new the new president from what i've read seems to be saying he wants to give certainty to to foreign investors um so they you know they can invest in chile i mean the interesting thing is at these high lithium prices you know chile is getting a lot of money um from from lithium mining in the way that they they've set up the royalties which can be as high as 40 percent um you know depending on the lithium price so I think from their point of view, they would be keen to to attract more investment. You describe in your book how China, to become what it is now, the world's largest battery manufacturer, to get there, it used the tools of globalization, if you will. Because uh, you say in your book that, for example, at the beginning, it was U.S. private funds, uh, Carlyle Group, that funded them. And then um, it was car manufacturers like BMW that that also bought their their production. And then in the upstream, it was kind of the same process because it was thanks to the big three Western companies, uh, SQM from Chile and the two American FMC, which is now Livend, and Rockwood, which is now Albemarle. It was thanks to to their demand that China's gangplank grew. So I wonder if you think that the lithium triangle or South America would be able to develop its battery manufacturing industry in the same way, using the demand from China, but developing the battery manufacturing in South America. I wonder if that could happen. I think it's a really uh, difficult question because I think it is very hard for countries to to move up the value chain and uh, you know go beyond um, where they have 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 an advantage. But saying that, we are moving into a world where uh, you know globalization is um, looking less and less like the trend, right? And we're maybe moving into more you know groupings of certain blocks of of countries, right? And and the creation of supply chains that don't involve China. So in, in in that model, you know, it could very well be be feasible that Chile and Argentina could use their lithium to to encourage uh, production of of uh, you know battery cathodes or you know or, or, or even batteries uh, potentially um, or some sort of part of the supply chain in in these countries that could feed into the North American or, or European 
market. I think the fundamental issue with with battery manufacturing is you want it to be close to where the where the cars are being made. Ideally, that's um, that's probably you know one one of the key things and easy access to you know the U.S. market. Um, but you, you know you could conceivably see um, cathode or or, or precursor um, in in Chile or Argentina. And the other great advantage these countries have is renewable energy, and we're seeing uh, a lot of these supply chains move to places with renewable energy, like Quebec uh, in Canada, um, because that's you know again that's one of the key advantages of. Uh, you know, reassuring or bringing localizing these supply chains, we don't have to repeat the the same mistakes, right? We can we can make it a greener greener product. So I definitely think um, there is some advantage. There is some you know way for these countries to build more supply chains. It's not not easy. But the other thing is just the leverage of of having the lithium. Right? Everyone is is desperate uh, for lithium now. So at these prices um, and with the demand of lithium that we see, I think these countries. You know, would would have some some serious leverage to to invite investment in into the uh, country. But saying that, Chile has uh, for the last few years tried to entice companies to come in by offering cheaper lithium uh, to these companies, but it hasn't hasn't had um, success um, so far. But but that 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 could change. And it's interesting that uh, SQM is is talking about um, you know using its lithium directly in the you know, production of batteries, perhaps in in Chile. So they are they are thinking about it. Um, I would say, outside the lithium triangle, we have seen examples like Indonesia has been very successful in using its nickel to attract, um, you know, even battery manufacturing and and possibly even EV uh, manufacturing um, as well. But uh, yes, I think um, let's let's see how far up the value chain lithium triangle could go i think that's the question but i do think that this inflation reduction act this desire to have new supply chains um could really could really be to the region's advantage you describe in your book um how china's catl the world's largest battery manufacturing company uh how having bmw as their client um helped the company to to maintain high standards do you see that happening in the lithium triangle also? Yeah, so, so yeah, back to your point that the, the West helped, yeah, helped a lot of these Chinese companies. Um, we we are seeing now a closer relationship between yeah the automotive companies and the mining side, the the lithium side. We've seen that in Australia with Ford uh, backing a, a project in Australia, actually lending money to to get the project um, into construction, and in Argentina. Um, on the Chinese side, we've seen um, Gotion or Gorshan, which is a battery producer, come into Argentina, talk about making, um, you know, batteries or, or or cathode in Argentina. So that's that's a really interesting uh, development. There we, and we've seen BYD also be interested in in lithium in Chile. Um, they applied for a previous quota that um, that didn't work out, but they um, they are interested um, in, in lithium. So I think. We are going to see, um, you know, the battery producers and perhaps automotive do do closer deals with the supply chain in these countries. And do you see, we talked um, before about direct lithium extraction, a country that has a lot of resources, Bolivia, but hasn't yet started to produce them. They have recently done a, a bidding round to attract uh, bidders to introduce direct lithium extraction in their Uyuni salt flat 
resources. Uh, how do you see that developing? Yeah, it's really, um, you know, it's really tricky to know about Bolivia. But they, yeah, they've done this um, tender and, and we've seen a few companies, most of them Chinese, um, apply. So I think we just have to to wait and see because, you know, people have been talking about Bolivia being a producer for, for a long time. So I think, um, yeah, it's still still in my mind, you know, we have to wait and see how how um, it's going to develop. But they obviously have ambitions to produce batteries and, and EVs in, in Bolivia as well. So, you know, I think, um, you know, DLE, I think is, is hard to evaluate because we, we've seen so many projects, but we haven't, you know, haven't seen them all come to successful fruition yet. But I do think, um, you know, maybe some of the, the Chinese companies um, that, that were involved in uh, Bolivia might, might well, um, you know, might have success of it. They've, um, you know, they, they, in, in Qinghai, they've been uh, doing sort of similar thing. So yeah, let's see. Yeah, because these countries, Bolivia in particular, they, they I think they focus more on um, adding value to their lithium than in having the lithium itself. And that comes from the history of these countries, from the colonization and the fact that people want more of the added value to stay at home rather than, than move away. And I think that Bolivia focused on that more than on its resources. And uh, Chile and Argentina are probably doing it a little bit different that way. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, and I think, again, you know, that, that can be quite tricky um, to achieve all that value add. It's very, you know, you're competing against um, China, essentially, which is, which is very difficult to, to compete against. And, and the problem is that automakers are very focused on, on cost at the moment. And we haven't yet seen, and we might see it, we haven't, we haven't seen a world yet where automakers will pay a premium yet for, for supply from, uh, you know, from, from different regions or, or greener supply so it's very very focused on cost in part because the raw material prices are going up right so you know the costs are going up um across the board we've got inflation and energy etc so um i think it is very hard to compete against china in certain areas of of the value chain um but but i would say um you know lithium is different to just just necessarily ordinary mining you know it is it is a chemical uh product so it is a sort of higher in itself it's a sort of higher value add um, product that you know the, the Chile's um, producing, but but saying that it is it is hard to to produce like battery grade lithium hydroxide, right? And I think even SQM sends um, some material to China to to be further processed, so it, it it isn't easy. But I think probably countries just just targeting the the processing of of battery grade material um, is also is a high value is a high value product. And do you think that for these countries in the lithium triangle, there is a, a relatively short window of opportunity that they should be taking advantage of? Yeah, it's a good point. I think, yeah, I definitely think now is now is the opportunity. Um, but I think it is going to be an extraordinary uh, growth growth um, this decade that, that we're going to see, right? So I, I think uh, I wouldn't say the window of opportunity is short, but um, definitely now is the time, especially that the West is building out these supply chains. So I think you know, for the for that to be part of that, you know, now is really the time. I think with the inflation reduction out that the US and Europe are really going to accelerate building out uh, these supply chains. So now, I think it's the opportunity to be part of, of of that growth. But overall, lithium demand. You know, we're going to need more lithium in 2032 than was mined in 2015 to 2022. So, um, and the demand is just going to go up and up. Um, you know, by the, you know until we get to mid century. So. 
Yeah, I do think um, there is a window of opportunity now. The other thing is recycling will play a more important role, um, you know, post-2030 as well. So there's a really good opportunity now to both be part of the supply chains being created in the West and and this sudden increase in demand. Okay, well, thank you very much, Henry. I'm, I'm conscious of the time here. That was really nice. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You have been listening to Plaza Central, a podcast about Latin America's most pressing political, economic, and social developments. This episode was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. To learn more about our program, please visit wilsoncenter.org slash LAP. And please join us next time for another episode of Plaza Central.